seated. I grew up uh, about a mile away uh, from my grandfather, and so it was not unusual uh, throughout the summer, uh, especially for me to hop on my bike, uh, pedal over to his house, and uh, spend the morning or afternoon with him. And one of my grandfather's favorite hobbies was gardening. And so I just kind of grew up working in the garden with him, and it taught me a a lot of valuable things. It it taught me where food comes from. Uh, My grandfather, one of the things my grandfather uh, loved to do was to grow popcorn, and uh, he'd grow it, and then he'd dry it in his garage. And so after we got done in the garden, uh, we would go to his garage, we'd get some popcorn that had dried out, and uh, we'd go into the house, and we'd pop it, and then we'd sprinkle in these chocolate stars, and we would watch some TV together. And, and I, my entire life, I know popcorn does not come from Orville Redenbacher. Um, popcorn comes from the garden. Now, I have no idea where chocolate stars come from, uh, other than Jesus. But um, outside of that, I have no idea where they come from. So I I just grew up knowing where food comes from. I I grew up uh, gardening with my grandfather, taught me hard work. Uh, Those of you that garden, you know it is not an easy hobby. It requires diligence, discipline, and and hard work. And I remember uh, learning that lesson. It taught me to learn from my mistakes that I would occasionally uh, pick a vegetable that was not quite ripe yet, or I'd step on a little seedling that hadn't uh, really uh, grown very much yet. And instead of kind of chastising me or or stepping on me for stepping on his plant, my grandfather just kind of taught me in a teachable and trainable moment. And the truth is, there's a lot of really great lessons that you can learn from agriculture. Jesus knew this. So we're coming to John 15 uh, in our our, uh, sermon series on the uncertain road. Uh, If you are kind of new joining us, that this is a sermon series where Jesus knows the uncertain road that his disciples are about to face. And in John uh, 13, uh, really through 17, Jesus talks to them about how you face an uncertain road, uh, how, you, how you face fear and anxiety and all the things ahead of you when, when you don't know how they're going to turn out and you don't know what it's going to look like, and, and he teaches. And today, in John 15, he's going to grab an example from ag, uh, agriculture. He's going to bring it into this conversation and teach us about the uncertain road. John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Uh, Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is drawing a contrast here between two types of branches. There is a branch that is alive and connected and pruned and bearing fruit. Uh, Pruning is such an important process in gardening to kind of scale back some of the non-thriving branches for the good of the whole fruit, the whole tree so it can bear uh, more fruit. And that's one type of branch Jesus is talking about. And then there's this kind of dying branch that at some point either cut away or falling, it becomes disconnected from the tree and it just ends up kind of withering. 
Uh, if you're in uh, central Illinois and you have big trees like I do, you might find yourself this time of year going to your backyard and picking up branches that are like this, that the wind has blown free, they fall into the ground, they're dead, and you might uh, want to make a bonfire and have some s'mores or just put them in your yard waste and let the city take care of it. Option B, all right, because you're not supposed to have a bonfire in the city. All right, so... Um, but yeah, you, you, you get my point. There's these two types of branches. And the distinction between these two branches is not that one went through something really painful and hard. One of the branch had a tougher road than, than the other branch. Both these branches see rainstorms. They see heavy winds. If they're in Illinois, which Jesus wasn't, but if they were, it's a bit of snow and ice throughout the year. Both branches went through the exact same thing. They've had their share of adversity. They've had, they've had their share fair of trials. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of something Jesus said in the Sermon, out one, one, Sermon on the Mount one time. He said in, in uh, Matthew 5, he causes his rain to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just a couple chapters later, Jesus tells this story. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The difference between the two branches in Jesus' illustration is not one gets rain, one gets storm, one gets difficulty, and one gets sun. They both get some rain and they both get some sun. One of the great dangers of the health and wealth gospel is the teaching that once you put your faith into Jesus, it is sunshine and roses and kisses and nothing bad ever happens to you. It's not that way, right? Uh, Remember uh, what Jesus said in our text last week. He said, listen, this was to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. It is amongst the promises of Jesus that you and I will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? It's not that those that follow Jesus have no trouble, it's that there is one who is with them in the trouble, in the storm, helping them and empowering them. And some of that trouble comes because we live in a broken and fallen world. But another kind of component of this that Jesus talks about this is that sometimes rain and trouble comes because we follow Jesus. Right? That, that it's, uh, persecution is a good example of that. That is trouble that comes because of faithfulness. Relational difficulty, conflict, sometimes they come because of faith. So Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. It's not that the fruitful branch had no trouble and, and the dying branch had tons of it. That, that's just not the case. Both have trouble, and can I say one more thing? Both get the sun too. In other words, it is important for us to remember that sometimes in the middle of a storm, like the one that we've been in, 2020 has been a bit of a storm, right? In the middle of the storm, we can forget that the sun has shined quite a bit, that that, that blessing has come. One of the great kind of teachings in the Old Testament to Israel as they were kind of wandering through the desert and in the middle of their kind of difficult storm, their uncertain path, in the middle of that, one of the great things God reminded them again and again about is this word, remember. Remember. When you're on the uncertain path, and it's rainy, and it's stormy, and the wind is going, and it's ice, and it's difficult, and it's all of this stuff, remember. 
Remember that God has been good. Remember that God is good, and he's going to work this for his glory. So the difference between these two branches is not one is subjected to rain and one is not. The difference between these two branches is found in three words that Jesus says again and again in this text. And here's the three words. Remain in me. Remain in me. The difference between these two branches is that one remained and one got disconnected, for, for whatever reason, got disconnected and fell to the ground and ended up dying. The uncertain road is tough and trying and difficult, but don't give up on God. Don't give up on faith. Don't give up on Jesus. Remain. Remain in him. That is the key difference between these two branches is one went through the, they went through the same difficulty, one remained and one gave up. The word uh, remain here in, in uh, Jesus' text is really interesting. Uh, it is used approximately 120 times in your New Testament, in the entire New Testament, 120 times. 54 of those times that it's used, it's used in a writing of the Apostle John. So 120 times, 54 times, it's John writing the word remain. And I have a kind of pet theory on this, that I think it's because John and Jesus were really close friends. Some people would make the argument that they were actually best friends amongst the apostles. And I think John knew how valuable his relationship to Jesus was for him personally. And I think that he just wants people to understand what a relationship with Jesus can do for them on the uncertain road. So again and again and again in his writings, he's right, remain, remain, remain. Don't give up, stay in relationship. You, you need Jesus now more than ever on the uncertain road. And so John has this other thing that he does uh, earlier in his writings. He does these I am statements of Jesus where he's kind of encouraging people to remain in Jesus. And here's, here they are on the screen for you. He says, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. It is as if John is writing and Jesus is saying, remain in the bread of life and be fed. Remain in the light of the world and see clearly. Remain in the resurrection and have hope. Remain in the good shepherd and be led. Remain in the way and see the path. And this week, remain in the true vine. Remain in the true vine and bear much fruit, even in difficult and hard seasons. See, Jesus says the way this fruit happens is that what we do is we remain in him, we, we stay faithful to him, and then he says, and here's what God does. God, the gardener, comes in, and he begins to prune away what needs to be pruned away so that we can bear much fruit. And this is one of the big time dangers of not kind of remaining in Christ on the uncertain road is that we don't remain. The good gardener doesn't come and prune away what needs to be pruned away so that we can bear much fruit. I don't know if you've ever given any thought to this this year. This year's been difficult and it's been trying and it's been an uncertain road. Have you ever thought about how God might be using this season to prune away some things in you and I that need to be pruned away so that we can bear much fruit in a difficult season. I don't know if you ever thought about what he might be trying to prune away. Maybe for you, this season has demonstrated a thing that you have become, you realize now you've become overly reliant on this thing for your happiness. 
entertainment, eating out, and traveling. And God has pruned that away for what is going to be, in the relative scheme of things, a short season, so that you might have full reliance on Jesus Christ and bear much fruit. Maybe for you, this season has demonstrated to you like an addiction or a sin that is kind of increasingly taking hold on you. And you're like, man, alcohol is becoming a thing, or food is becoming a thing, or media consumption is becoming a thing. And God is using this time to point that out to you so that he can prune it away and you can worship him and worship him alone. Maybe for you, this is just a time where uh, some things that uh, you are now realizing are more important than you previously realized that they were. Like you're like, man, spending time with family and friends is important. (laughs) I didn't realize how important it was before. Or worshiping together as a church family, I didn't realize how important that was before. Or daily time with God to kind of boost your your spirituality and boost your reliance on Christ, that is super important. And God has shown you right now, God has shown you right now what needs to be pruned away so that you can focus completely on what is most important. The worst thing that can happen on the uncertain road is that we don't remain in him. The gardener doesn't come. He doesn't prune away what needs to be pruned away. See, there's lessons in every season. And so right now, I think the spirit is impressing on us an addiction, a habit, a thing that we're missing right now. And say, man, God would love to, the the, the good gardener would love to prune that. He'd love to prune that away so that you can bear much fruit. Now, the text is going to go on here. We're going to read a little bit more together. The text is going to go on to show us what exactly this fruit is that God is, is prune, what he's pruning away so that we can bear this kind of fruit. This is the fruit that God wants to bear uh, starting in verse 9. You're going to notice it's a little bit repetitive, all right? You'll, you'll get the message pretty quick. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that, uh, for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another." The fruit that God wants to bear in us, the fruit that the Spirit wants to bear in us as we remain in him. Remember, our job's to remain. The fruit that he wants to bear in us is the fruit of love. See it all the way he says in this text. You actually see it all throughout the scriptures. The two great commandments in the scripture are love God and love others. And I've taught you this before, but if you think about it, the, as you're studying the scripture, the law of first mention becomes really, really important. So the first time uh, a concept is uh, mentioned in the Bible is really important. So like for, with love, it is uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, whom he loved. And later this becomes an illustration for God and his son Jesus. So the law of first mention becomes really important. A lot of times in a list, the law of first mention becomes particularly important. So like if I were to ask you, Give me your top five movies, your top five favorite movies. The law of first mention would say, the first one that you mention probably has special significance. If I were to say, hey, give me your top five favorite books. The first book that you mention 
probably has some special significance. If I were to say, give me your top five family members, you get the point, all right? So, right, special significance, right? And so one of the things that we're gonna see on the uncertain road, we've talked in this series, we've talked a lot about the work that the Spirit is doing. And I wanna share with you uh, real quick, a passage from Galatians that we quote around here a lot. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and pay attention to the law of first mention. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, uh, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Everything flows from love. C.S. Lewis will go on to say that you could really make an argument that the fruit of the Spirit is love, period. That that is the fruit of the Spirit. And every other fruit flows from an attitude of love. Let me show you this uh, real quick. So uh, joy is an attitude that comes when we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are filled with an unspeakable joy that the most important relationship that we have can never be taken away from us, our relationship to God. Patience is an attribute that flows from loving others. And it says, I am going to love you through your ups and I am going to love you through your downs. Just like you love me in my ups and you love me in my downs. We understand that none of us are fully formed. None of us are fully baked cookies yet. We need a little more time in the oven and we're going to love each other through it. Right? Kindness and goodness are attributes that come from loving others. They say, I want good for you. I want good for you. So I'm going to celebrate the good things and I'm going to mourn with you the losses. Faithfulness is an attitude that comes from loving God and it is a desire to know him more and more fully. Self-control is an attitude that flows from loving others. And it says, I am not going to say and do whatever I want to say and do the minute I want to say and do it because I love you. And the question becomes, how do you get to that type of love? I want to change the illustration just for a minute, if you'll let me. The truth is, I'm not a very good gardener. I enjoy it. I'm not great. Um, and so I shouldn't be up here talking about gardening. I do have a nine-year-old uh, and a two-year-old, almost three-year-old. So let me talk to you about balloons <laughs> as an illustration. How do you get a balloon to stay up in the air? Just think about that for a minute. One option for you to get a balloon to stay up in the air would be to smack it, to, to hit it. And have you, ever played, have you ever played this game with your kid? The floor is lava. Don't let the balloon touch the floor. Whatever you do, the floor is lava. And you're smacking the balloon all over the house, giggling, laughing, ha having a good time. That is one strategy to keep a balloon in the air. Is everyone's hitting it, knocking it around, knocking it up in the air. Pastors and preachers love this strategy for helping people to fly. All right? You come into church, and we like to smack you a little bit. All right? Be more loving. Be more generous. Be more kind. And honestly, this can work to keep the balloon up in the air for a certain amount of time. But most of us, I don't know about you, when, when I go into a sermon where I've been smacked around a little bit, I usually leave that sermon. I try not to do that with you guys. You know me better than that. But when I go into a sermon where I've been smacked around a little bit, I usually leave that sermon where I got to do better. I got to love my family better. I got to be more generous. I got to be more, I, I got to do this. And that balloon will float in the air for a little bit of time. And then we have the ride home from church. And I'm frustrated and, I'm, and all of a sudden all the lessons go out 
the, the window. Smacking a balloon is one way to keep it in the air. It's just not very effective. There is another way to get a balloon to fly. You fill it. And you specifically fill it with helium. And it will float and fly by itself. If you want to fly and you want to live the life God has called you to live, we need to be filled. Right? We can get guilt trips and we can get kind of smacked around. Even in God's word, we can kind of get the guilt trip thing going on with ourselves and, and the, the balloon will stay up for a little bit. But if we want to live a sustainable, different life, we need to be filled. Say filled with what? Well, I think based on last Sunday and based on next Sunday, I think you can make an argument, the Holy Spirit, that we need to be filled with the Spirit. But Jesus is actually making another point in this text that he wants us to kind of think about, and that is being filled with the love of Christ. Notice how Jesus says it. Jesus says, remain in my love. He'll say it again and again and again. Be filled, remain, stay strong in my love. And it is when we are filled with his love that we have the true capacity to fly and love other people. Uh, the question is, how do you remain in his love? Is that done uh, through worship music? Does it happen through good sermons? Does it come by reading the right books? Does it, is it involved in the right ministries? And I think all of those things are super helpful in remaining in his love. I've talked to you before about, man, preach the gospel to yourself. Listen to music. Listen to sermons. Read books on God's love for you, God's love for the world. Certainly do that. Jesus actually kind of zigs when the other fellow zags here a little bit. He, reg, he raises a point that honestly I didn't see coming because I thought he was going to remain in my love, sing. Remain in my love, listen to good teaching. Remain in my love, do, get involved in the right ministry and the, and the right outreach. But he takes a different tactic and here's what Jesus says, an, another idea. He says, remain in my love and then he goes on to talk about the power of obedience in terms of remaining in God's love. Obedience has a unique way of helping us to remain in God's love. Now, real quick distinction here, all right, it's super important. Obedience does not help God to love us more. You get that, right? God doesn't need help to love you more. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. While we were still in our sins, Christ Jesus died for us. While we were still in our sins, he loved us. So God doesn't need help to love us more. God loves us plenty. The help is for us. Obedience helps us to remain in God's love and to, remind, to be reminded of how much he loves us and to stay connected into him this way. So obedience isn't for God. God's just like, man, if you obey a couple more commands, I'd love you more. That's not true. He loves you plenty. He loves you the most. He loves you perfectly. Obedience helps us to remain connected to him and to remain close to him. It helps us to remember his love for us. The church has sometimes been afraid to talk about obedience because we're afraid people will lose touch with God's grace. Obedience people are afraid to talk about grace and grace people are afraid to talk about obedience. But obedience done right reminds us of God's love. Obedience done right reminds us of his grace. Obedience done right reminds us of his faithfulness. That God, consider this, God loves me enough to forgive my sin but he also loves me enough to tell me how to have a great marriage. 
He loves me enough to take me to heaven when I die, and that's awesome and good, but he also loves me enough to show me the best way to live. He loves me enough to show me grace upon grace upon grace, but he also loves me enough to give me his law and his commandments. And so in a very real way, obedience reminds us that God loves us in a different way than uh, some, of the, some of the other stuff does. It's like, man, when I obey him, it's like, I can't believe he's leading me this way. I can't believe he's helping me to, to, to live a better life. I can't believe he's showing me the, the way uh, to truly be fulfilled. Now listen, we understand this. If you're a parent or grandparent, you get this. Because this is every parent's secret wish when it comes to their kids. Is that right now, you are in a season where you are commanding them. And you are trying to get them to obey. And you are trying to lead them in this way. And some of your kids and your grandkids resent it. And they don't like it. And they rebel against it. And you are kind of fascinated by, that, by this idea in the future when your kid is going to wake up one day and they are going to say, mom, dad, grandpa, and grandpa, they were right. I dream of the day. Sometimes I wake up from a dream, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this day. When, when's it going to be? Will it be 20? Will it be 30? I mean, I'll be starting to get pretty old, but I think I'll still enjoy it. You were right. Of course I was right. I knew 30 years ago I was right, right? So we as parents, we get this. But beyond that, beyond being right, what you hope is gonna happen is that someday they're gonna look at you and realize that you love them. You love them the entire time. You love them when you were giving them those commands. You love them when you were giving them those decrees. You love them when you were helping them be obedient. They just didn't understand it. They were rebellious against it, but you understand it. You understood you love them the entire time. And this is like our love. Uh, this is like our relationship with God. He's been loving us the entire time. We just rebelled against it, but he loved us the entire time. And if, when we want to walk in a different way into his love, obedience is a way to do it. It is a reminder that he has loved us the entire time. So we want to be filled with the love of Jesus, to remember the gospel, to draw close to his love through obedience. And look at what happens. As I have loved you, so love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. You want to know why we're not loving one another well in this culture? We have lost touch with the idea that God truly loves us. And we've fallen out of love with that idea. We've fallen out of connection with it. We need to remain in him. And specifically, we need to remain in his love and be reminded of his love for us so that we can love one another. And when we're filled with his love, when we're filled with his love, we fly. We fly. And we begin to look more and more like Jesus. Another metaphor, if the balloon thing doesn't work for you, we remain connected to the vine and we bear much fruit. Whatever, pick whatever one you like. If you're a farmer, gardener type, go with that. If you're in a kid or grand season, a kid or grandkid season, maybe the balloon thing works better, but they teach the same thing. Filled, fly, remain, bear much fruit. So how do we love? How do we love? What does it look like the same way he loved us? Serving sacrificing, laying down our life, and we love because he first loved us. 
Isn't that an interesting passage? We love because he first loved us. It's understanding his love and remaining in it that helps us to love other people. But it starts with remaining in it. Don't forget that during this season. Don't forget this. It's too easy to be angsty right now. Too easy to be angry right now. Too easy to be frustrated right now. Don't forget to remain in his love. Don't forget to remain in his love because when we remain in his love, we will love other people. Let's receive communion together. It's under your chair. And what I want to do is I want to pray for a few minutes and then I want to just give us a few, time, a few moments to spend some time with God. This is a time for you to thank him for his love and then to, to, to remember it, to celebrate it, and to remain in it, all right? Um, and so remember, celebrate, remain. And it's just an opportunity for you to do that, to thank him for it, and then to just stay there for a couple minutes and say, man, I want, I want to continue this long after I leave this room. I want, to, I want to remain in his love so that I can love other people the way that he has called me to love. So let me pray. I'll leave a little bit of time for you to spend time with your heavenly father, and then we'll receive communion together. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love. May we remember it, remember his sacrifice. May we reflect on it. May we remain, may we celebrate. And may we leave this place different, ready to love others. These prayers and requests, Lord, right now we lift up to you. Enough to forgive us of our sin to take us to heaven, but you loved us enough to also give, your, give us your Holy Spirit and give us your law and give us your commands. Thank you for every way that you've loved us. May we remain in your love and leave this place confident in it and ready to love other people the way you have loved us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. His body given for you His blood poured out. Remember what we sometimes say around here. It's not just a cup of remembrance. It's a cup of calling. That we remember his love for us and we leave this place ready to love the same way. So that's my prayer for us this week is that we would remain in his love. Every day this week we'd remain in it absolutely confident in it, knowing that um, our obedience doesn't cause God to love us more. He loves us totally and completely. But our obedience does remind us of his love for us. And so as we walk in that obedience, that we would remember his love and be absolutely committed to showing his love to other people. Tough season to do this, hard season, but that's what makes it so revolutionary, so different, and so life-changing. So leave this place here ready and prepared to love others the way you have been loved. God bless. Have a great week.